Uh, very cool. Hey, welcome to church. For those of you who I haven't met yet, my name is Jono. Uh, it is fantastic to meet you. And as Dougal said, I'll be, um, I'll be preaching today. Actually, band, you guys are fantastic. How great are our bands? They are awesome. Thank you, band. You guys can sit, sit on down. Uh, very cool. Who was here last week? Nice. Well done. That was, that was a good job. If you weren't here last week, I want to assure you we do have a thing called the internet. And on the internet, we put, we don't actually own the internet. That, that could be a misleading statement. We don't. We just use a little space of it. I don't know how it works. Ask Duncan. But um, we, we have a thing called the internet. And on the internet, we have put some recordings of sermons. So if you missed out, uh, it, is, it is sad that you missed out because being here is the best way to hear the sermon. But don't worry, you can hear it. And maybe if you've got some friends together, you could listen to it together. I don't know recreate church a little bit probably just come on Sunday would be easier but uh, it is there but if you were here uh, with us last Sunday morning we had Patrick uh, Coniglin does anyone remember that it was good it was good and um but last Sunday night for those of you who were here for those of you who weren't Jordan spoke on this idea of um royal priests and living stones right because for the last uh, couple of weeks we've been looking at this idea of what does it mean to be the church right and, and what does it mean to be a people that are following God. And especially we're looking at this as we go into our miracle offering and as we, as we go into our journeying into, into Wellington High School, into stretching ourselves, into stepping out into the place that we know that God has for us in this city. We want to know what is it the church is meant to be, right? What are we meant to be about? And so he, uh, he talked about being royal priests and living stones, but we've also been on this journey for the last couple of weeks uh, thinking about a list, some of you will be like, a list? I don't know what you're talking about. A list of 10 people that we're praying for, right? A list of 10 people that we're trying to think, man, who is it that God has in my life that I can be praying for that somehow I can do something to help them journey closer to knowing more about God? Who is it that doesn't have a hope that needs me to let them know that there's something more to life than what they currently see? And does anyone have a list going on? Even if it's just a few people, you've got a bit of a list going on. That's good. That's good. Nice. If you don't have a list, uh, by the end of today, my, my hope is that you'll, you'll start putting together a list, that you'll realize that it's, it's more than just the great idea that Jordan has already illustrated it to be, but maybe it's a part of who we are. Maybe it's a part of what we're meant to be doing. Because prayer is an interesting thing, isn't it? Anyone kind of find prayer a little bit interesting? I've got, um, I've got a nana. Does anyone here have a nana or a grandma? Everyone knows what a nana is, right? I always worry about, everyone has different words for grandparents, right? Sometimes it's nana, sometimes it's like nan-nan, um, nan, nanny. Like, then you get, yeah, yeah, you go into all of the like, I can't even think of the other ones, like Uma, and it just gets weird, right? Ama, I don't know, nana, right? My nana is my, my mother's mother, right? To, to eliminate, <laughs> I slaughtered a Sri Lankan word. Um, but, but, but my, my, what I'm trying to say is, is a grandma, right? And I have a grandma, and, and my grandma is an amazing prayer, right? She, she is an incredible prayer. In fact, uh, just this week, some of you know that, that M uh, set the oral defense of her PhD, which is very cool. She passed it. Some people are like, oh, no, what happened? So that is, that is good. But my mum was ringing up my nana beforehand, and she was like, hey, just letting you know, on, on Monday, M will be defending her, her PhD. And my nana was like, oh, okay, cool, what time? Like, whenabouts in the day, and mum was like, oh, I'm not actually sure yet. I know it. it's probably in the morning, but I'm not sure when it is exactly. And my nana's response is, oh, that's all right. The Lord knows, right? Because I will tell you, legitimately, my nana would have, for the rest of the day, the entire day, just have been praying, right? She lives in a retirement home out in Lower Hutt, and she would have been sitting in her lazy boy 
praying. She would have stopped for a little bit of lunch, spot a morning tea, spot an afternoon tea, but she would have prayed the entire day. Right? And I, I love the way that my nana prays. I love the way that she uh, approaches praying. One of my strongest memories growing up is uh, one day, for whatever reason, my nana was staying with us. I think it must have been uh, around about Christmas time. Right? And, and, and my nana is, is from a Methodist background. In fact, my granddad was actually a Methodist minister. And, and so she prays a little bit differently to how I pray. She, she loves the kind of the, the form in prayer. She loves the tradition in it. And I remember one night she came in to, to tuck me into bed when I was about probably six or seven, right? She, when I was 15. One night, last night, she came in to tuck me into bed. No, when I was six or seven, she came in to tuck me in. And she goes, oh, Jonathan, because she calls me Jonathan. Can I pray with you? And I was like, yeah, Nana, of course you can pray with me. And she's like, all right, I've got a beautiful prayer. You'll love this. Right? So I close my eyes. I'm tucked in. I'm ready. I've got my, my blanket that she made for me. I've got my blue teared. I had my teddy until I was, I still have my teddy. Right? But and she, she touched me and she, she prays this prayer. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. For if I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Right now, I don't know about you, but some prayers maybe you shouldn't pray with children. Because what happened to me that night is I was like, hmm, I don't want anyone to take my soul. Uh, because that sounds like dying, right? I don't really want to die. I'm six or seven, and I feel like I might have a little bit of life left ahead of me. And so I came up with a cunning plan. I wouldn't be able to have anyone take my soul away from me if I didn't go to sleep that night. So my nana's loving bedtime prayer uh, was a good way for me to not sleep at all for the next week or so. Right, but prayer's a funny thing. The other thing that my nana loves is grace. Right, but she doesn't just love grace. She loves the singing grace. Does anyone know like singing grace? Like uh, maybe the Superman grace or the, um, the, the bird grace and you've got to do the actions. It's just, I can't even remember them, but they're weird, right? And, and my nana loves them. And so every Christmas time, every time that we're together, she'll make us sing these graces. But th th there's a tension here because this is a serious thing. And so here we are, we're singing Superman grace. We're doing Superman actions while we're singing grace. But I'm not allowed to laugh, right? And so we're going, thank you. Yeah, oh, I'm Superman. God, thank you. And we're doing it. It's amazing. And yet, if you start laughing, then it's like, stop. Why are you laughing? This is a serious, we're thanking the Lord for our food. Go from the top. And sometimes we don't get to eat for at least a half an hour because I cannot keep it together. Right? In fact, grace is a funny thing. Does anyone here have like a, a short rote grace they'll do before they eat? It's a safe space. It's all right. My one is, uh, God, bless this food to my body. Amen. Eat. Right? Which is, uh, grace is important. Maybe I'm missing the point there. The other thing that I find interesting about grace is uh, I pray grace over anything that I'll eat. Right? So I'll sit down in front of a tray of McDonald's. God, bless this food to my body. Food. Is that the right word? Is that, is that a good descriptor of McDonald's? Probably I should pray, God, bless this assortment of chemicals and sugar to my body. And in fact, if I can believe in that prayer, I have a lot of faith, right? If I can believe that God is going to take that assortment of poison and bless it to my body to somehow turn it into nutrients, um, yeah, no, that's, that's a lot of faith that I got going on, right? But prayer is an interesting thing. There's, there's an interesting prayer, in fact, that Paul prays in the book of Philemon. Does anyone know Philemon? And I was like, Philemon, that's a book? It sounds like a Pokemon. It doesn't sound like a Pokemon, though. I, I wrote that joke, and then I was like, wait, none of the Pokemon's names end with Mon. But just go with it, right? It's fine. It's fine. But, but Paul prays this prayer, and it, it's in about verse 4. If you turn with me, it's in Philemon chapter 1. 
Uh, there is actually only one chapter to Philemon, so you don't really call it chapter one. It's just in Philemon verse four. But we're going to chuck it up on the screen. Look at that. I did that. Uh, very cool. And it goes like this. I always thank my God. This is Paul writing a letter. I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I am praying that you will be put into that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all of the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me much joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Why don't you bow your heads with me and we're gonna pray? God, I thank you that that we get to come into this space that we get to, to look at, at what your word says, that, that we get to have our hearts built into, that we get to be edified and built up, Lord. And I pray that as we're here for the next 30 minutes, God, that, that we wouldn't miss this opportunity to hear what you're saying. God, I pray that, that as I'm speaking, it wouldn't be my words, it wouldn't be my intention that comes across, God, but that you would use what we're doing here today to speak into our hearts. That something of, of what you want to say, that something of who you are would, would land in our hearts and would change the way that we see the world, God. We don't come here because it's a thing that we do. We don't come to church on a Sunday because it's a, a cultural expression of just religious observation. We come here because we want you to speak into our hearts. We want to be different to when we came in, God. We know that there is a city out there that desperately needs us to know what it is you're telling us. And so today, we choose to listen. In your name, Jesus, amen. So some backstory to this book, right? Because Philemon, it's, it's not a book that you've probably heard a lot about before. It's not, it's not one of the kind of classic uh, scriptures that people pull out. They're like, everyone turned to Philemon and everyone's like, ah. Oh. Just preached on Philemon last month. Man, what's going on? This is a bit of a weird book. In fact, this, is a, this book is a letter written by Paul, but it's one of the only letters that Paul writes directly to a person rather than to a gathering of churches. Right? He's writing this book to this one person named Philemon. And it's important to know that Philemon is, is, is a businessman, and his business is, is actually the slave trade which is a weird thing for Paul to have as a friend, right? But it's important to also realize that the slave trade in those days, whilst it was still morally kind of shady, was different to how we'd think of the slave trade today. Slaves then were usually um, indebted servants. And so what they'd do is really they had a 10-year contract that they couldn't break, right? It was a binding contract to someone that they'd serve out and then they'd be set free. And in fact, other stuff happened. We had the year of Jubilee and it could be earlier. It, 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 It was but it wasn't, they weren't owned by someone as such. They had rights, they had responsibilities, and they could earn their way into a household by diligently serving. And so this guy Philemon, he, he is a bit of a shady character, but he's not quite as shady as we think. And so here he is, Paul is writing to him because one of his slaves, one of Philemon's slaves was in jail at the time with Paul. Right, the slave was was maybe a runaway. Maybe he had um, stolen something from Philemon. But however it happened, he had ended up in jail with Paul, and Paul was in jail for telling people about Jesus. So there they are. There's Paul, and there's the slave that Philemon owned, and his name is Onesimus. Everyone say Onesimus. Some of you are looking for a baby name. There you go, Onesimus. Right, and so Onesimus is in jail with Paul. And they they become friends. They become really good friends as they're in jail. And we don't know exactly how it happens. But over the the time that they're in jail together, Paul uh, decides, oh, sorry, uh, Anesimus decides, I need to go back to Philemon. 
I need to go back and, and ask him for his forgiveness because I've wronged him. I need to go back and, and ask him to forgive me for running away or, or for stealing something from him because I've wronged him. Because what happens is in jail, Paul leads the slave Onesimus to a relationship with Jesus. Right, they're there, and, and, and Paul's probably like, man, what are you in jail for? And he says, like, I'm a slave, I stole something, or I ran away, I did, I did something bad. What are you in jail for? And Paul's like, oh, well, actually, I've been, I've been preaching about this guy named Jesus, and some people don't like it, and so I get thrown in jail quite a bit. Um, so I'm just kind of chilling out here, writing some letters, um, and I'll get let out in a little bit. I'll preach some more, I'll get thrown in a different jail. It's kind of just what I do. And he says, like, wow, that, that's amazing. Why, why would you do that? Why would you be so bold? Right? Why are you throwing yourself in jail effectively when I can't even stay serving a master? And, and he's like, man, I need to understand what you've got going on, Paul. And so Paul leads him into a relationship with Jesus. And, and so then when Onesimus has decided, man, I need to go back to Philemon and apologize to make things right with him, to finish out my, my term that I've agreed upon serving him, Paul's like, well, I'll write you a letter. Because what happens is, is they have this discussion and Paul realizes that he knows the slave owner of Onesimus, right? That they're chatting, and, and Paul's like, well, who, did you, who did you serve? Why are you here? And he's like, oh, I, I serve this guy named Philemon. And, and Paul's like, Philemon, does he live here? Yes. Is he about yay tall? Yes. Does he have a wife named Ella? Yes. I know Philemon. I'll write you a letter so that when you go back, he won't be so harsh on you. I'll ask him, I'll implore him to be kind to you because you're a Christian brother. And so that's where this, this letter comes from. And this letter, it, it says two things, right? It opens by saying two things. It says, first of all, I hear about your faith and your love for God's people. In other translations, it says, I hear about your faith and your love for the saints. Right, basically what he's saying is, I, I hear that you love God and you love fellow Christians. Right, and, and he's saying, that's awesome. That's, that's fantastic. And then he goes on to say this, I am praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. See, an, another translation says this, I pray you'd be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. See, imagine this, Onesimus is in jail. He's in jail and he meets Paul and he's, he's probably hurting or he's angry and he's just, he's messed up. And they start talking like we've already discussed and, and Paul shares the gospel with him, shares this, this good news. And so in jail, Onesimus becomes a Christian. And at some stage they start chatting and, and Paul's talking to him and they figure out that they know Philemon, that they're friends with the same person. But, but maybe what happens is as Paul is, is talking to Onesimus, he's like, wait, wait, you served in Philemon's household. Wait, you were a slave in that house. You were there day in and day out. And you know that Philemon is a follower of Jesus, right? Did, did Philemon ever tell you about Jesus? Because you were there every day. You guys were in the same house. He saw you every day. Did he ever tell you the good news? Did he ever tell you that there was something more to life? Did he ever tell you that there's something more than what you thought was going on was there? Oh, he, he didn't. And so then he sits down and Paul is writing this letter and he's like, Philemon, I thank you that I, I hear about your faith in God and I hear about how you love other Christians. It's awesome that you're really loving other Christians. And then perhaps Paul is going, but, but don't forget to share your faith. 
especially with those who are in your house every day. Man, he's, he's writing and, he, and he's being nice, but he's kind of reprimanding Philemon. Philemon, what's going on? Onesimus was with you for so long. How did he not know that you're a Christian? Onesimus was with you for so long. How did he not know that you had this faith that could have changed his life? Why are you just loving people who are like you and ignoring those who are different? Man, Philemon, what's going on? See, maybe Paul is doing exactly what Jordan has been doing for the last couple of weeks. He's challenging us. Man, who are 10 people you can pray for? Who are, who are some people in your life that you can reach out to? Where can you expand your heart? Who are the people that are right in front of you that you're missing? Who are the people that are right in front of you that need the good news that you are carrying and yet you're not seeing them? See, maybe... Maybe this morning, maybe we're in danger of being Philemon. Maybe Jesus is looking at us and, and we're trying to think of another name to add to our list. Oh man, I've only got one person. God, I wish there was someone else in my life who needed to know about Jesus. I can only think of one person. And Jesus is like, man, do we need to write Philemon chapter 2? Have they got it yet? That there are people right in front of them. Maybe Jesus is saying to us this morning, Jono, don't forget your work, mate. John, I don't forget your family member. John, I don't forget your, your friends who don't know me yet. And yet you're not thinking of them as someone that you can pray that they might enter into the kingdom, that they might get to know who I am and the joy that I bring. See, what will it take for us to be less like Philemon and more like Paul? I think that the, there are two reasons that, that, that make us end up in the place where, where we don't share our faith, or we don't share our faith often enough. Right, the, the first reason is that we feel that we don't know enough. I know that so often for me that's prohibitive. Man, I don't, I don't feel like I understand enough or I know enough to be able to convince these people, to be able to tell them what it is. But, but it, says, it says here that Paul is implying through his prayer that, that it's not that we need to know enough to share our faith, but it's as we share our faith we understand more. Right, And, and maybe the the thing that's happening here is Paul is showing us something amazing happens that when you share your faith, you actually get a full understanding of every good thing that you have in Christ. Suddenly you're growing deeper in your relationship with Jesus. You're falling more in, in love with him. So, so you want to share your faith even more. The, see, that's one of the reasons that I think that, that Paul was praying for Philemon. Man, I, I pray that you would share your faith so you understand what the faith is that you have to share. I pray that you'd share your faith because as you do, your heart would grow. I pray that you'd, you'd make that, that effort, just try it once, because as you do, you'll find that you want to do it again and again and again. See, the other thing that, that maybe stops us from, from sharing our faith is, is experience. See, but, but Paul says, understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. See, maybe, maybe Philemon wasn't able to love and therefore to reach out to Onesimus because he hadn't yet realized how much God loved him. Right, he was feeling kind of emotionally bankrupt. He was feeling like, man, I can't, I can't let Onesimus know that, that God loves him because I don't really feel like God loves me. I'm kind of having a hard time here. I'm kind of only just making it through the day here. I don't have the, the emotional capacity to, to help someone else out. He hadn't yet experienced the love of God. So I think it's important to realize that you can't give the love of God until you've personally, fully received and realized the love of God for yourself. We can't tell someone a story that we don't know. We can't, we can't give someone a gift that we haven't yet received. See, we are created by love to love. The reason our church is here is because people need to know that, that love is a person, that love 
is Jesus, that, that he was loved with skin on. They need to know that it's not a warm and fuzzy feeling, but it's a love that can set you free. It's not just a temporary high, but it's a love that changes your life. It's a love that, that transforms you. See, the reason that we're stepping out into Wellington High School, the reason that we're stretching ourselves as a church is because we know that there are more people in the world who need to know about this love, who need to know that there's something more to life than what they currently see. See, there are seats that aren't here that are in Wellington High School that need to have people in them. There are places that we need to go that we can't go if we stay here. And you might look around and say, oh, man, but there's, I can see empty seats. There's two empty seats there. There's an empty seat there, an empty seat there. But we don't need to shift. We've got enough room for people here. But see, Jesus doesn't just want to reach another 20 people in Wellington. Jesus doesn't just want to change another 30 people's hearts. Jesus wants the city to be redefined. And there's not room for the city here. There's not room for the city in Wellington High School. And we won't be staying in Wellington High School forever. Right, but, but we need to always be thinking, we need to step out because God's love needs to be advanced. God's love needs to go somewhere else, needs to reach more people because we need to realize that we need love as well. Right, I'm, I'm going off notes, but the reason that we pour resources and time and, and money into being a voice in the city is love. That's our reason. See, we change the world with love and, and Philemon missed that. He loved, but he, but he only loved the ones on the inside, those that were like him. And, and, and it's not a real love. See, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the, the antithesis, the, the opposite of Philemon, right? What would it look like if we loved so extravagantly that nothing would hold us back? What would it look like if we loved so extravagantly that, that we made sure that Anisimus encountered the love of God? What would that look like? See, there's a a story in in Mark chapter 2. It's a story of four men who did everything to bring their friend to Jesus. If you've been in church for a while, you would have heard it before, right? But we're going to read it, and and I pray that this morning something new jumps out of you from it. We're going to read Mark chapter 2, starting from verse 1, going to verse 5. There we go. It says this, After a few days, Jesus returned to Capernaum. And word got around that he was back home. A crowd gathered, jamming the entrance so no one could get in or out. He was teaching the word. They brought a paraplegic to him, carried by four men. When they weren't able to get in because of the crowd, they removed part of the roof and lowered the paraplegic on his stretcher. Impressed by their bold belief, Jesus said to the paraplegic, Son, I forgive your sins. See, This morning, I really want to pull out four practical ideas from the story that can help us realize what would it take to bring Anisimus to Jesus? What would it take to bring that person that's right in front of us, that maybe seems too hard, that person that's right in front of us that we know, man, my workmate does need to know Jesus. My workmate does need to know that there's something more for them in life. My workmate does need to know that there is a hope. My, my, my family member, my friend, whoever it is, they need to know that something else is going on, that there's something bigger. But at the moment, we just can't. At the moment, we feel unable. At the moment, we feel ill-equipped. I want to pull out four practical ideas, four things that love does, four things that we can do as Christians to reach Anisimus to reach our friend that's right under our nose. The first thing, if you're taking notes this morning, is love plans. See, when you love someone, you don't just hope that something happens. When you love someone, you don't just just hope that by chance, man, I hope by chance my friend that I've been praying for will will invite themselves to church. 
man, I hope by chance my friend that I've been praying for will be walking home and, and will see our church and will think, oh, John, I mentioned that church once two years ago. Maybe I'll go inside. But see, love plans. See, these guys didn't chance upon taking their friend to Jesus. These guys didn't, didn't walk past with them already on a stretcher and think, oh, hey, shall we go inside? There seems to be something going on here. These guys had planned to take their friend to Jesus. This, this wasn't just a I'll invite him when I get a chance moment. It was when is Jesus coming back to Capernaum? When is Jesus coming back here? And when can we take this man to see him because he desperately needs to be healed? See, they planned. See, maybe they started to think, how will we get there? How will we get this guy there? He can't walk. We need a stretcher. Maybe they thought, man, we need a stretcher. They, they got the stretcher. They were like, can we carry the stretcher? Maybe at first there was only two of them. They're like, if there's only two of us, we won't be fast enough. They got another two, and then they were like, man, we need to be even faster. We need to outrun the other crowds. And maybe they put some rocks on the stretcher. They started doing shuttle runs. Right? They had another friend. He was standing there timing them with his watch. They had watches in Bible time. Don't worry. His sundial. He was like, I'm sorry, I don't know how to do seconds on a sundial, but you guys were fast, right? But maybe they started training. Maybe they started planning. Maybe they started being intentional about what they were doing because they knew that he needed to meet Jesus. See, if you love something, you start planning. See, I'm so proud to be a part of a church that is a, a, a gathering of people who plan, a gathering of people who say, man, I'm going to serve in church, so I'm going to plan that my schedule will work so I can serve. I'm going to plan that I'll show up early on a Sunday morning to be a part of the packing team. I'm going to plan that I'm going to learn my songs, go to music practice on a Wednesday so I can be a part of creating an environment where people will be able to engage with God. I'm going to plan that I will go to e-group, that I will engage with what we're doing, that I won't just be an observer, that I won't just be uh, sitting back on the sidelines, but that I will plan to be engaged with what God is doing in Wellington. See, if you love something, you plan. When you love, you prepare and you plan. See, that's why we take three minutes every Sunday to talk about money. We only take three minutes because we believe that if you love what God is doing in the city, you will have already planned to join with us in tithing. You will have already planned to join with us in giving. And occasionally we'll speak on it for longer. But most of the time, we rest in the fact that we know that you plan to love others. See, the, the miracle offering is coming up, and I, I can pretty much guarantee you, if you haven't already planned to give in the miracle offering, it's not going to happen by accident. You're not going to find that, oh, what happened? My checkbook just ended up on the table and wrote some numbers in itself and, and took itself to church, and, and, and wow, look at that. It just gave all by itself. Oh, someone set up an automatic payment in my account all by itself. How did that happen? I'm so glad that someone else was generous on my behalf with my money. See, we don't give if we don't plan. We don't give of ourselves. We don't give of our time. We don't give of our money. We don't give of our resources unless we plan to. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I look at my life and I think, man, why aren't things changing? Why, why, why hasn't that person known that God loves them yet? Why isn't the church where I want it to be? What's, what's not happening? What, what should be happening? And yet I haven't planned to help be a part of any sort of change. I just think that somehow it will happen. Somehow I'll be, oh man, I'll be motivated one day and I'll just give a love offering just then and there. Which is great, but it's not planning. And when you, when you love, you plan. See, there's something to be said about being so in love that, that you make your way and you pour out all, of you, all that you have. I put a lot of planning into getting engaged. 
right? Because I loved Emma, I knew that I wanted to marry her. And so I worked for two summers to save up enough money to buy an engagement ring and to pay for the wedding, right? That's a lot of planning, especially when you're like, how old was I? Especially when you're 12, and that's a lot of lemonade you got to brew. Let me tell you, it only sells for like a dollar a cup, right? I was working for a long time. But, but I was like, I was 19, 20, right? And, and I got some good jobs. I worked some long hours. M sunned herself by the pool at her house, and I slaved away at Wellington Hospital in the medical records, getting shocks, because for some reason in the records department, the carpet has some weird static in it, and I couldn't figure out what to not wear to not get electric shocks. So literally for like three months, every day at work, I'd just be walking along, putting files away, just getting mild electric shocks. Just, yeah, yeah, right? But love plans. When I decided to propose to Emma, it wasn't a, a spur of the moment at McDonald's, hey, would you like to marry me sort of thing. There's a video online of a guy proposing to his, his girlfriend at McDonald's, right? He gets them, it's, it's very romantic. He gets them to put the engagement ring into the order. So she gets it and she takes it out and she takes out the Big Mac and, and she takes out the drink and then she takes out this little box. She's like, oh, weird. What's this, like a Happy Meal toy? And she opens it and she looks at him and she's like, shut the up. Like, what are you doing? This is not how you're meant to propose. If someone here was thinking, that sounds like a great idea. I'm going to propose at McDonald's. It's going to be the most, it's a bad idea. Right, because how you plan, what you put into thinking about it shows how much you love someone, shows how much you care. If you propose at McDonald's, it was probably the first thing that you thought. You probably thought, maybe I'll get married, maybe I'll get a Big Mac, why not knock out two birds with one stone? Which is, I mean, you know, there's something to be said for your um, planning, but maybe not. But see, love plans. Love thinks, how can I do this? See, we, we can't force people to meet Jesus, but we can see that there is a place that was planned for them by God. We can see, men. how can I plan that they might meet Jesus here? How can I plan that they might meet Jesus here? How can I plan to, to, to create a space where they might know that they're loved? See, who have you planned to love? Who have you prepared to make a way for? The second thing this morning is love bears burdens. See, notice that the, the four men carried the man. Right? They got involved in his life. They, they didn't want to get him to Jesus. They had to. It wasn't an option. It was something that they needed to do. See, a challenge for, for Christians who are sharing their faith today is, is so often it's similar to a drive-by shooting. We've been doing a series in our e-group. Best e-group ever, by the way. But we've been doing a series in our e-group about what does it look like to share your story. And, and Byron, um, he, he talks about this idea of man, hit and run. Right, that you come up to someone and you're like, Jesus loves you, see you later. You come up to someone with no relationship, with, 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 with no kind of establishment, and you just drop some gospel on them and hope that it'll do something. And so often for us, we, we can do that. We can, we can do kind of a drive-by shooting form of evangelism. In other words, they're not involved in the person's life at all. They just run up and say, hey, Jesus loves you. But that doesn't work in today's world. We're not bearing any burdens for the person. We're not invested in them. We're not carrying anything for them. See, people know, need to know that you care about them, not that you're just trying to convert them. People need to know that, you're not just, that they're not just another notch in your belt, that you're not just trying to earn your way to a higher tier of heaven or some other weird form of theology by evangelizing to them and saying, oh, well, I tried. Jesus, let me in a little bit further. Oh, well, I tried. Let me do a little bit more in heaven. See, people don't care how much you know. They first want to know how much you care. 
See, as followers of Jesus, we need to bear some burdens. See, think about this picture. Jesus is in a house that is jam-packed, and the four men were trying to get in, but they couldn't because it was so full. Right? Sometimes this is what happens today. People are, are huddled up around Jesus. We're all turned inwards, looking at Jesus with our back turned to those in need. See, our actions are saying that we really don't care. Hey, come to church, come to church. Yeah, yeah, no, no, it'll be great to see you at church. They show up at church and we're just facing this way. They're behind us. Are you going to turn around and say hello to the person you invited? Nah, no, 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 I'm focusing on Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, oh, Jesus, you're so good. All right, and now, oh, you're here, nice to see you, goodbye. Right, but we're not bearing the burden for them. We're not helping them to engage. See, I believe that we are called to bear some burdens. We need to be with hurting people. We need to be present with them. We need to bear burdens. And we've, once we've bared burdens, we've earned the right to share with them about Jesus. Do, do you want to come to church? That's not something that people always want to hear. Sometimes you'll ask it and you'll just have to wait and to pray. Sometimes the burden that we need to bear is the burden of time. Do you want to come to church? No. Okay. I'll pray for you. I'll wait. I'll bear the burden of time and I'll ask you a little bit later. I'll ask you once we've matured a little bit more, once our relationship is, is a little bit further on, once you know that I'm not just asking to ask, but I'm asking because I care about you. Maybe we need to bear the burden of time. The third thing this morning is love adapts. Right, see, see, here these people were, that the message of God's love never changes, but the methods of applying it and sharing it, they always change. See, the way that God gets to people is individual. Jesus met people in a bunch of different ways, right? Jesus met the, the prostitute caught in sin. Jesus met her by stooping down into the dust next to her, by lowering self, himself to her level. The, the lepers trapped outside the city, Jesus went to them and engaged with them where they were. The, the man with the shriveled hand in the temple, Jesus walked to him in front of everyone so that everyone knew that he was worth it. See, Jesus was always changing the way that he related to people so that he could minister them most effectively. He wasn't doing a, a cover-all. He wasn't making one tract that was so well-written that it would convert everyone to know that they had a hope in Jesus Christ. But he had conversations. He adapted. He changed the way that he talked to people. See, in this story, they dug through the roof. That's adapting. It's, it says, when they weren't able to get in because of the crowd, they removed part of the roof and lowered the paraplegic on a stretcher. Impressed by their bold belief, Jesus said to the paraplegic, son, I forgive your sins. See, I was researching this week how roofs were made, because that's what I do. I, I, you know, you read a bit of Bible, and you're like, how did they make the roof? And, and it turns out they made the roof by, first of all, they'd, they'd get these posts, and, and they'd lay them three feet apart, right? That would be kind of the, the top of the roof. And then they'd get mud and manure. And uh, they'd pack the roof with mud and manure. Because, I don't know why you'd use manure and not just mud. But uh, they got mud and poo. Right? They got some mud and some poo and they made the roof. Who here is glad we don't live in houses with poo roofs anymore? I am. Right? That's all right. You guys can have poo roofs if you want. But uh, they made this roof with mud and poo. And, and, and so there these guys are, they're on top of this roof, and who knows they had to dig through some mud, but they also had to dig through some poo, right? To get this man to Jesus, they had to get their hands dirty in more ways than one. I don't think they brought a shovel with them, right? They were plunging their hands into human excrement. Do we need to get any more graphic? No, it's all right. We, we kind of get the idea. See, love adapts. Love gets its hands dirty. 
Love is willing to, to go where maybe people won't go. To do what maybe other people won't do. See, see, what is stopping you today from sharing your faith? Chances are it probably looks a lot like manure. Chances are it looks a lot like something you just don't want to, you don't want to get on you. You don't want to get involved with that. I know that, that that's it for me. And I don't want to do that. that that's going to be messy. It's going to be hard. It's going to blur the lines of our professional relationship. That, that's going to take them from being a friend to, to feeling like maybe I want something from them. I can't, I can't compromise our friendship like that. I can't compromise our work relationship like that. But see, love adapts. Love gets its hands dirty. See, my fourth and, and, and final point as I get the band up is that love chooses. See, this morning, how you feel is irrelevant. See, what you choose is imperative. If we're honest, we're probably never going to feel like sharing our faith with people. We're probably never going to feel like praying for people in the morning. We're probably never going to feel like making a list and, and keeping on praying for those people day after day. It's just not going to be something that we feel like doing. Maybe it will be after we've done it for a long time, but starting off, it's not going to be something that we feel like. It's not going to be something that, that feels easy to do or enjoyable, really. But it's not what we feel that's important, it's what we choose. See, what to you can seem inconsequential can actually be supernaturally essential to what God has called you to do. See, love means taking a stand. Love means choosing. See, we have to make a choice about what we love because we're not always going to feel like doing what God calls us to do. We're not always going to feel like, like doing the right thing, but it doesn't matter because we choose it. It doesn't matter because... See, I'm sure halfway through lowering this guy through the roof, they were like, is this really what we want to be doing? Is this really the people we want to be? We're going to be known for, for months, maybe years, as those guys who dug a hole in someone else's roof and lowered a guy in. Those guys who are, a meeting was going perfectly well. Jesus was there. Everyone was engaged. It was a good time. We're going to be the guys that dropped someone on someone's head. We're going to be the guys that, that, that destroyed someone else's property, that came into a guy's house who was kind enough to host Jesus and ruined his perfectly good roof. We're going to be those guys. Maybe they were halfway through lowering him down. They're like, this guy's heavy. This sucks. Why do we do this? Maybe Jesus isn't even going to notice him. Maybe Jesus is going to tell us off. Maybe Jesus is going to reprimand him. Maybe Jesus is going to say, now not only are you a paraplegic, but all four of you are paraplegics for breaking someone else's roof. Right, they didn't know what was going to happen, but they'd chosen to share their love. They'd chosen to, to share, they'd chosen to do something, and they stuck at it because it was a decision they made. See, it's a good life when you live by what you've chosen, not by your feelings. See, because I don't know who told us that feelings should dictate what we do. That, that feelings should, should be how we decide where we go and where we don't go. I don't think Jesus felt like going to the cross. I don't think Jesus was like, man, today is a good day to die. Not only is today a good day to die, today is a good day to die excruciatingly. Today is a good day to be embarrassed. Today is a good day for my mother to see me dying. Today is a good day to be stabbed in the side. Today is a good day to take the sins of the world onto myself. Today, I feel like that. I'm sure that Jesus maybe didn't feel like it, but feelings didn't dictate his decisions. See, when we choose Jesus, we choose above our feelings. When you choose to serve God, even when it gets tough, 
We align ourselves with the Jesus who chose us when we weren't worthy of being chosen. A Jesus who chose to, to bring God's grace to us when we didn't deserve it. See, it reminds us that we should choose those who we don't feel are worthy. Because love chooses. Love picks up the phone when we don't want to pick up the phone. Love answers the call when it's way too late at night to answer that call one more time. Love does the right thing when everything in you wants to do the wrong thing. Love chooses. See, we choose to get up. We choose Wellington. We choose to serve. We choose to love. We choose to live in this city. See, we're going we're gonna to love those who walk away. We're going to love those who come into church and say, no, this isn't for me, and walk out. We're going to choose to love them and to wait. We're going to love those who stay, even if they're weird, even if they're just like you and they're really annoying. We're going to choose to love them because we have a decision. We're going to love those who love us and we're going to love those who hate us because that's what it takes to get the message out. So today, as, as we return to where we begin, who are your 10? 10 people that, that God has laid on your heart. 10 people who are like Anesimus, who are right in front of us, who we're currently not seeing. 10 people who, if Paul was with us today, he would write us a letter and say, what are you doing? Were they not there the entire time? Did they not need to know that Jesus loves them just as much as the other people? See, as we pray, we grow our hearts. As we pray, we expand what we care for. See, prayer is awesome because you can't pray and not care. You can't pray and stay the same. See, prayer takes it from your mind and it plants it in your heart. Prayer takes it from, oh man, it would be a great idea if that person could come to church. Man, church would be so much better if that person was there with me. Man, that person needs some hope. That person needs some love. That person needs to know that there is more to life than what they're currently seeing. That person needs to know that they have a destiny. That person needs to be released from what they're currently under. From this great idea to a heart attitude. Man, I need to reach that person. My heart hurts for that person. Man, I need to let them know that God loves them. And prayer is what it takes to drop it from here into here to drop it from being a great idea to, from, to, to being something that we, that we need to do. See, so this morning, who can we plan for? Who can we bear some burdens for? Who can we adapt for? And who do we need to choose to keep on praying for, to keep on pursuing? And finally, let's be Paul. All right, see, because what Paul did here is he prayed for his friends. He prayed for his fellow Christians. See, it's important that we realize that we don't just need to be praying for those who don't know God yet. We need to be praying for each other. See, I don't know about you, but, but I would love this week if you could pray over me this prayer. I pray that you would be active in sharing your faith so that you will have a full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Because see, I don't know about you, but I need that. I need someone praying for me that I would be bold enough to share for those people that I know I need to share with. I need someone to be praying for me that I would not give up, that I would bear some burdens, that I would adapt, that I would choose even when it gets hard. 